Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix design LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. There's a race going on right now to remake the North American recycling landscape. I'm Gabe Friedman, and my guest on Down to Business this week was Ajay Koshar, chief executive of Mississauga-based Lie Cycle Corp., which has raised hundreds of millions of dollars recently for lithium-ion battery recycling. If you're like me, you may have thought about recycling almost like a utility, but LiCycle is projecting it could hit just under a billion dollars in revenue by 2025. For right now, it's focused on building infrastructure, including about 20 collection facilities that it calls spokes, where it plans to grind up batteries from phones, tablets, even electric vehicles, before separating out the most valuable metals. As always, the interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Ajay Koshar, thanks so much for joining me today on Down to Business. Great to be here, Gabe. Great. So can you just describe your company's business? So Lifecycle is a lithium-ion battery recycling company. And so what we do is we're a commercial business that takes an overchargeable lithium-ion batteries, and we reproduce the fundamental building blocks of those batteries again. So we reproduce lithium and nickel and cobalt and more. And we were started five years ago. Uh, we're over 100 people. Uh, we have many different customers that supply us with batteries. We make product. We sell product. And maybe to help paint the picture here, it would be good to start with what's been happening. Uh, so briefly, if batteries have made their way to a facility to be recycled, it's typically been done thermally or the work for that is pyrometallurgically, so high temperature. And basically, batteries have been mixed in with other recyclable products, like alloys, other materials that may contain nickel and cobalt, and then directed into these historical or legacy supply chains, which have really been nickel smelting and refining. Uh So our background before we started this business was really in helping build facilities that produce lithium chemicals that go into batteries. And so we got very curious and subsequently then frustrated about what was happening to all these batteries. And when we dug into it and we found out, hey, okay, well, they're just going to these legacy supply chains. The ironic thing about that is, you know, lithium, for example, one of the critical components in the batteries is lost when you go through these high temperature processes and they don't recover the majority of the materials. There's not as economic and they're also polluting potentially. So that's where Lifecycle was really born out of in 2016. So back to your question, Gabe, what do we do? Simply put, we run a two-stage model. We start with batteries from a variety of sources and those go to our first process, which is the spoke. The spokes are small scale facilities that get close to where batteries are. And what that does is it cuts down the footprint and the cost of logistics because batteries are heavy. And that's actually the first issue that a customer of ours would typically run into. 
say, hey, where, where do I ship these batteries? It would typically be quite far away. So we transform that into intermediate material. And then lastly, the hubs are centralized facilities where we take that intermediate product, think of it like the dough to the pizza, and we go back to battery-grade lithium nickel cobalt. So non-thermally, much more economic for this low-cost, high recovery, and also much more environmentally friendly. I want to go back to a second about something you just said, which is that a lot of other recycling processes up until now, you said, have been a thermal process which I'm guessing means that they're just melting a bunch of metal. In some of the papers you guys have put out, you've described your own process as a a wet chemistry process that captures more of the metals like lithium, cobalt, nickel, and releases less, I guess, greenhouse gases and chemical pollutants into the air. I was just wondering how you found this method and and what the history of it is. Mm. So I'm an engineer, chemical engineer, personally, and Tim Johnston, my co-founder, mechanical engineer. So We used to work at a firm named Hatch, which is a global engineering procurement construction management firm. And we're basically building metallurgical plants. So these are plants that produce lithium and nickel and cobalt. You know, what's in a battery is the culmination of a really complicated supply chain, right? It's all this mining and refining, and then it comes into this refined product. Well, from a basic perspective, You don't need to throw a battery into a furnace to actually process it. You don't need to. And the reason why it's very amenable to non-thermal, our first step is mechanical shredding. Uh The second step is wet chemistry treatment. So that's basically the first principles of where we started. And then we developed from there iteratively this patented technology. There's a whole iceberg of work beneath that. That's occurred in the last years. So go back. You said something. Your first step is shredding. I mean, how big are the shredders you need to do this? So physically, imagine <laughs> 20 feet tall. This is you know, fairly large equipment. A lot of it is even just the physical form of the material. And starting with the innovation there, you know, again, before we came along, it was very complicated. People have been trying to basically tear down these large packs into battery cells. And there's thousands of battery cells in a pack in an electric vehicle. So we went away with that. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a bottleneck. There's a lot of labor. It's also potentially huh. safe. So what we do is automated and that's where a lot of the innovation kicks in. How do you do that safely? How do you do it scalably? And that's the spoke part of the business. We have an existing commercial operating spoke in Kingston, Ontario. We have a second one already operating in Rochester, New York. And then we've announced a third in Arizona. Uh, we make that intermediate product. This, the intermediate product has a very creative name. It's called Black Mass. It almost <laughs> sounds like Black Matter, something from space. But anyways... So in the battery, you have a cathode and you have an anode. And the cathode contains lithium and nickel and cobalt and other materials. And the anode is usually graphite. So both happen to be black powders. And so that's a really valuable portion from what's in the battery. And that's what we're isolating at the spokes. And that way, we're only transporting on that proportion that has the high value and is also a much decreased part of the mass of the battery. And this is what basically enables the efficiency And then at the hub, that's the input. So I think this black powdery input that has lithium and nickel and cobalt, all these rich critical materials. And then we use wet chemistry to go back to the same materials that are produced from mining and refining. So lithium carbonate, nickel sulfate, cobalt sulfate. Think of it as the urban mine, right? Like this is basically the equivalent production of those materials. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about it as as an urban mine too, because when you mention like cobalt, for instance, there's just been a lot of ethical issues raised about it. 
child labor, you know, all sorts of human rights issues associated with that. But what's interesting about what you're saying is that eventually all this cobalt, which is in most of our phones and what have you, is getting ground up to dust and mixed with other cobalt. We're not really going to be able to tell the provenance of this metal if recycling continues to grow like you're suggesting it is. The best we can do is ensure that from our supply chain, you know, that it is totally transparent and compliant with the highest standards of ESG. But the longer term vision, too, is once those materials are now in our supply chain, you know, broadly speaking in the world, we can't lose them. Right. Like that's so precious. We don't want to have to continue to unsustainably long term, think 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, keep depleting these critical natural resources, it's not really going to work. If you look at a lot of the curves for the demand of lithium nickel cobalt, it's kind of like, mm, we. <laughs> this is the resource, right? Like once it's out of the yeah. ground, that's it. We can't lose it. So it's it's early days for huh. this industry. A lot of the growth is happening because of this massive exponential ramp in lithium ion battery proliferation. And I'd almost describe it in two phases just briefly. Today, you know, when you make a battery, it's not perfect. So it kicks off production waste, manufacturing scrap. So a lot of what we get today is that plus consumer electronic material. And that's growing really rapidly. And in the future, phase two, it's the end of life material, right? So now imagine cars go on the road, they come back. That's, you know, the next 10 plus years. That's even more material. My understanding is that the cars are what are really driving battery demand because the battery of a car is just so much bigger than what you're going to find in an iPad or your phone. So how do you sort of plan to meet the growing supply of that when no one really knows exactly how fast EVs will grow in North America or really the world? Yeah, so that's right. I mean, we're just 1-2%, uh, if, if that, many jurisdictions lower than that, penetration of electric vehicles. And you know what's happening is alongside, the whole supply chain is scrambling. And I'm going to start with phase one and give a few metrics that will help to paint the picture. So today there are 200 battery mega factories in the pipeline. When we started Lifecycle five years ago, I remember seeing a graphic at the time that showed just over 10, maybe a bit more. But the point is that it, it has been so exponential. And in phase one of the growth of recycling, when a battery is made, now imagine those 200 plus mega factories in the pipeline, it's not perfect. So along the way, there are offcuts. There are batteries that don't pass quality checks. And so that generates scrap, typically 5 to 10% of the output of a given manufacturer at a really good level. That's a very good manufacturer. And so now you start adding this up across 200 plus mega factories. You can start to conceptualize and say, oh, okay, right? Like as that's growing, okay, hold up. There's this waste stream that already needs to be recycled and can't go in landfill and it's, it's valuable. So that today is circa 30% of our supply chain. About 50% of what we get today is from consumer electronics. But in five years, it's likely that manufacturing scrap will be close to 70%. And then if you go five years beyond that, that's when you start to get the larger proportion percent-wise of end-of-life batteries, right? So as cars hit the road, come out, maybe they're defective, even recalled. You're obviously deep into the recycling business. You called it urban mining. Have you seen any studies about whether this could ever actually supplant mining? So near and medium term, for critical materials like lithium and nickel and cobalt, today, it's really low percents for cobalt and nickel that come from recycled sources. 
lithium is basically nothing today outside of us. So recycling as an industry can supply for each of those materials 10 to 20% potentially of the demand globally for each of them in the next 10 years. That's actually really significant, right? Up from basically nothing to 10 to 20% potential is a huge jump. And then lastly, long-term, there is a potential, I'm talking about 20, 30, 40 years plus, for recycling to be 60 to 70% or more of the total demand for all these materials, huh. which would absolutely displace mining, if not more. Because once it's above ground, you know, we can just, there's no limit on how many times we can recycle it. We just go back to the atoms at Lifecycle and we remake the materials. You do have some losses right along the way, whether good us or other sources, but it's a really potentially very efficient future. And you know, as you get to a more closed loop circular economy, that's another big part of it. It's not just the technology, but it's also the business models and the supply chain network that really enable this to work really well. And that's the pillars, or those are the pillars rather, that we have developed our business on today. Yeah. Okay. We don't really have too many battery makers, or I don't know if we have any really in North America. Like, where is most of your end product going? That's a great question. Yeah. So this is actually a big, it's a gap, I'd say, in North America. I mean, you have battery cell makers. You know, I have a few existing today. There's been additional announced plans in the U.S. for for growth. But that's been, you know, positive development, I'd say, in the last couple of months. So that's great to see. But what's missing is the cathode manufacturing. So a little bit of cathode manufacturing in the U.S., smaller scale. But outside of that, give context, you know, when we sell our materials like lithium and nickel and cobalt, it actually goes to a cathode precursor maker or a cathode maker, which then goes into a cell. So we've seen some plans out there for potential new capacity, but it's not quite there yet. So what they actually do when they make cathode is there's a variety of ways, but it's typically a high temperature process and it's mixing in lithium with a set mix of if it's a nickel, manganese, cobalt cathode of nickel, manganese, cobalt. And it is at some stage high temperature because it's being converted into the form of the cathode. So there are a few key parties that do that. There's a lot of capacity in China, some of this in Japan, Korea. There's some being built in in Europe. And in North America, there's a small plant in Michigan. And then outside of that, one of the main other plans that's been announced are are Teslas, where they've talked about going to making cathode. But that I don't think a lot of folks, and it's hard to know, right? But even from a policymaker standpoint, at this point, it's kind of missed sometimes that, okay, hey, you can bring the battery manufacturing here, might even have the critical materials. But if you don't have the cathode making, and you're missing the step <laughs> that makes it into the thing that goes in the battery, right? So there isn't an, an increasing awareness about it. But I think it's a missed point because people just don't know. Well, Ajay, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to speak with you about these issues. Great to be on, Gabe. Thanks so much. That was Ajay Koshar, Chief Executive of Lifecycle Corp. That's down to business. And thanks to the team behind this episode, including Bryce Hall for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. If you enjoyed this episode, you can share it with a friend, rate us on your podcast app. And if you're still looking for more energy news, the Financial Post launched a newsletter today that's exclusively devoted to news about Canada's energy landscape. It's free and you can sign up at financialpost.com to receive it. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Down to Business.